at the UN Climate Conference COP27 in Egypt, we took a closer look at the future of our planet. How do we build, eat, cook, invest and live if we are to meet the 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement by 2050? What changes need to be made and how will they impact our everyday lives? Every action that limits global heating can reduce the suffering endured by people from climate impacts. Drastic emission reduction is necessary, and every fraction of a degree counts. We all know that the future starts with the decisions we make today. So that's why the Nordic countries invited to daily debates at the Nordic Pavilion at the COP27. In this special series of the Nordic Talks podcast, we invite you to listen in on how we drew up the lines of life in the world of tomorrow. I'm Andrea Molt. Welcome. The topic today here at the Nordic Pavilion is how do we pave the way for change? Everyone wants change, but nobody wants to change. Then how do we get the change we need? The biggest carbon footprint in uh, developed countries stems from our consumption. So then, do we have the politicians who dare make the necessary decision and also uncomfortable decision and uh, would we vote for them? Here to discuss uh, this uh, topic, we have um, Axel Eriksson, Swedish youth delegate to the UNFCCC. Uh, we are short of one person, uh, Nikola Astrup. He might be joining us uh, a little bit later. And uh, his uh, co-pilot, uh, so to say, is uh, Himanshu Gulati from the Progress Party in Norway and also a member of the Nordic Council. Welcome. Um, I would like to start with um, like the biggest question, at least if you, if you look at what is written in the media back home, we are all an elite who have taken on holiday to, to uh, discuss climate here in the Nordics uh, or here in Shamanshik. And here is Nikolai Astrup. Thank you and welcome. You made it. <laughs> it's good to know. But okay. Um, I have uh, one opening question here. I mean, we know that the transformative change needed have consequences for the way uh, we live and the choices we make. Uh, looking back 30 years, Flying around the world used to be an exclusive commodity. Today, it's more or less perceived as a human right. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say um, this is not sustainable in any way. And um, I'm going to start with you, Nicola, for that because that was my plan, and then we go all around. Um, are, are you, as a politician, willing to, to walk that extra mile to ensure that we uh, change in a to a sustainable way of living, hence also making flying more expensive. We have to pay for a carbon footprint. Well, so thank you for, uh, for that question and thank you for having me in this panel. I'm sorry I was a bit late. Um, it happens here. <laughs> I know. There's a shuttle bus system. Um, but uh, back to your question, I think uh, as politicians, uh, we need to communicate how big this transition is going to be. 
uh, and uh, it's not going to have. A, uh, we we can't um, complete this transition uh, without ha it having effects on, on people's lives, um, and we all need to do something. But the most important thing is to make sure that consumers can make sustainable, environmentally sound choices in their everyday lives. To make sure that uh, our industries switch from fossil fuels to renewables uh, and that our transportation sector switches from, from uh, fossil fuels to renewables um, and our power sector, of course. So, so these are, are the main components, I think. Uh, starting out with, uh, with flying, I think um, uh, we need to have sustainable alternatives as well. It's not just about saying you can't fly because that's not going to happen. Uh, but we need to make sure that we do more to promote um, both electrical planes for short-haul flights, which we're doing in Norway now. We uh, hope to be the first uh, country with uh, short-haul electrical flights by 2030. And um, on long-haul flights, we need to work more on other sustainable solutions apart from uh, fossil jet fuels. Uh, Axel Eriksson. Um Ericsson, sorry. Um, I mean, listening to, to Nikolai here, um, do you agree uh, on what he's saying? Uh, that it's not really possible to, to do something about the flying at the moment? or So what I would say is that the message from youth in Sweden is quite clear that um, the, the main priority when it comes to consumption is actually a reduction so that uh, there are many things that we consume that we don't actually need. Uh, so for example, there are alternatives to traveling by airplane, uh, which are viable already today. Um, for example, it's possible to get by a train to large parts of Europe, uh, even though it might take a bit more time. Um, so I, I would say that the message from Swedish youth is that rather than trying to uh, accommodate current habits uh, with um, more innovations, trying to make flying, for example, a bit more um, energy efficient or less polluting. Uh, we should rather think of, do we actually, are, are these habits that we have actually necessary? Or could we, for example, take more time to travel uh, by train and, and, and enjoy that? <laughs> The, the, the actual travel instead. Um, so ju just to summarize, it's um, about changing habits rather than just improving technologies. Himanshu mm. Gulati, uh, you are from the pro pro Progressive Par Progress Party in, in Norway. Yeah, I mean, you, you are known to... Um, not being the most uh, environmentally friendly, if I might say so, uh, but you also uh, are in opposition to regulating people's lives. You, you want people to make their own decisions. So how then uh, would you say we, we could come about the change we need without regulating it? I'll first start by saying, uh, you opened by saying that everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of the Swedish song that everybody wants to come to heaven, but nobody wants to die. So, uh, but but, but to, your, um, to your question, I think what we need is a positive message. Because um, all positive change um, we've seen throughout humanity has usually come, through, uh, come about through um, innovation, new technology. We cannot restrict people's 
movement. I think the, the freedom of movement we have is important for, for our freedom, for our economic growth, for the possibilities that the world offers today. But it is through new technology, through um, alternatives, as also I think Nikolai mentioned, uh, people will still fly, but we have to make sure that the, the, the means of uh, uh, fuel, the means of um, uh, uh, transport is greener, is sustainable, uh, and that the world can tackle it. And, and I think uh, uh, to, to uh, talk about my own country, Norway, Norway is a good example of how transportation can be made uh, greener without restricting too much the, um, uh, the movement to uh, EV vehicles. Through good policies, tax policies, by encouraging new uh, technology, uh, we have one of the greenest um, um, uh, vehicle uh, portfolio uh, in the world. So, so I think we need a positive message. And, and if you walk around COP, there are so many good uh, solutions, alternatives, so much uh, positive, uh, positivism, and we need to focus on, uh, on that because we need to have two thoughts um, uh, together. We need a more sustainable world, a greener world, but at the same time, we need um, uh, those amazing uh, opportunities that the world offers for, for, for growth and, uh, and movement and other things. Uh, Nikolai, um, back home in Norway, uh, we, we tend to see ourselves as, as a regulated country. We, we were the first one out to, to prohibit uh, smoking indoors. Uh, we regulate traffic. I mean, if you have taken the taxis here in, in Egypt, there is definitely another way of driving, uh, to put it mildly. Uh, uh, and then we do so because we see that it's uh, beneficial for the society and us as humans. So when we can do or regulate in these areas, why is it then so hard to regulate when it comes to uh, actions and, and changes needed for the climate crisis? Well, from your question, it seems that we don't have regulations in this area in the Nordic countries, but of course we do. I think we probably have the strictest environmental regulation in the world in many areas. And we, we use the but whole is it, is it enough? And we use the whole toolbox mm -hmm. to get there. Um, and and um, now, for instance, uh, most parties in Norway agree that we're going to have a national CO2 tax of 200 euros in 2030. And we've started the gradual increase of that, that tax, which will have a huge impact. It will be on top of, of the European emission trading sy uh, system. So. Um, we regulate, of course, uh, through our taxes, who buys what kind of cars. Uh, we regulate industry we re and um, uh, the oil industry, which is the elephant in the room in Norway, is uh, also very keen to reduce their emissions. So they have set a target of reducing their emissions by 50% by 2030. So, so we are, it's not that we don't regulate, but we need, it needs to move faster. And uh, we don't have enough results compared to the severity of the situation that we face. Uh, so, we, so we need to accelerate uh, the progress in this area. But it's um, uh, what, if you look at the, the big emission points in, in Norway, for instance, uh, it's mostly from the petroleum sector and it's from uh, industrial factories. Uh, so we need to have, make sure that we have plans and that are realistic uh, to, to uh, remove emissions from, from, those, uh, from those points. Axel, um, yesterday uh, the Nordic youth um, gave uh, a letter uh, to the Nordic governments uh, 
uh, with some demands. Uh, among those were uh, the total removal of uh, fossil fuel subsidies, uh, removal of investments, and also removal of or stop of, of um, uh, searching for new fossil fuels. Um, when you did that, that's all, of course, because we're, we're still doing it. Um, and you have the signs on your side. Uh, are you are you in a hurry to make the politicians change here? And yeah, I would say it's definitely a hurry, um, since, as you said, the science is clear. Uh, we need to phase out fossil fuels urgently and totally. Um, and I, I think there, there's a general narrative when speaking of, for example, regulations and um, out, facing out things that it, it, that it would mean um, less well-being and that uh, it would come at the expense of the welfare of the people. And that's uh, a reason why it might be um, a, a bit too or very much too slow. Uh, but Again, I would say the message from young people in Sweden is that uh, transitioning to a less fossil fuel intensive economy doesn't have to be at the expense of welfare. Rather, it would lead to healthier, uh, cleaner air. It, it would lead to a lot of benefits. Uh, and realizing that we, we don't need to um, couple... Um, well, well-being to uh, economic growth, but but rather focus more on uh, human health and the integrity of nature, which are um, sustainable in the long term. And that would, um, I, I think, that would increase the will to actually uh, do the changes that are needed. For example, phase out fossil fuels and uh, make sure that those currently invested in those. Uh, sectors also get a, um, a good life. So, so what you're saying is that um, the need for fossil fuels today has to do with our overconsumption. So we need, we need to cut that and then hence we can also reduce the, the fossil fuel. Yes, that's yeah. a big part of the problem. Well, uh, yes and no. <laughs> if, so. if we look at now what, what's happened after Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, we have, we've had a substantial amount of fossil fuels removed from the market rapidly. It's caused the, an energy crisis in, in Europe, but also in the world, uh, which affects uh, the poorest and most vulnerable people the hardest. Uh, it's also, in essence, uh, uh, affecting food production. Uh, natural gas is an important uh, uh, input for fertilizer production, and um, we're going to see this year uh, lower harvests than uh, than what we uh, need to have for food production to be sustainable year on year, and that's the first probably in in uh, in history uh, of mankind. So that's interesting, um, and it, it ties back to the fact that we had a huge uh, part of our uh, imports to Europe removed immediately. So. My point is just that, yes, we need to get rid of fossil fuels. Yes, we need the transition from fossils to renewables, but that needs to come about through a massive increase in renewable energy production so that we can actually phase out 
um, fossil fuels on the on the demand side. Because if you if you do this on the supply side first, then we're going to end up in the situation we are in now with the global energy crisis. So it's um, important that we incentivize more production of renewable energy, and we do it worldwide. Short comment from, from we are in a transition, and it needs to be a, a smart transition. This is a, a marathon, not a, a, not a, a sprint, because the, the, the problem is, and, and as rightly pointed out, the, uh, in the aftermath of the uh, invasion of Ukraine, we've seen um, how um, uh, instability in, in energy supplies can cause uh, huge um, uh, challenges to societies all over the world. Also. Uh, bringing uh, some countries on the on the brink of social uh, unrest and all of our countries, although luckily in the Nordic less than in most other uh, countries, but all countries in the world right now are facing tough challenges where the um, uh, inhabitants are, are feeling their personal economy and, and daily lives uh, be, being more uh, challenged. And, and the thing is, unless we manage to have a stable energy supply and we manage to keep the calm and the growth in our societies, we will not have the strength and the will and the support to, to do the necessary transition. So the transition has to make sense. Um, when, when enough supply of green energy is there, that's when uh, we will see reduction in fossil energy. Until that time, we need to uh, uh, you know, manage to, to, to pursue both these paths at the same time. Okay, so what I, I'm hearing from you all is one thing. We, we need to pick up the pace. We can all agree on that, right? Uh, so how then do we bridge uh, the dilemma between the short-term problems and also for you guys, uh, elections? I mean, you, you, you are just sitting four years and uh, the problems we are facing uh, are, have a lot, much longer perspective. So then <clears throat> how do we bridge this um, dilemma between the short-term elections and problems and the decisions we need to make that have a long-term effect? Nikolai. Well, I think it's important to recognize that um, governments can't do this job by themselves. We need, to, we need the private sector engaged uh, in a big way. And what does the private sector need to do this transition? Well, they need predictable, a predictable framework. Um, so what we can do today and what we try to do today is to have... Um, uh, to set really policies for the future uh, that uh, can get the support of, of, of parties across, uh, well, cross-party support to make sure that we have a predictable framework uh, in terms of investing in renewable energy, in terms of investing in hydrogen, green or blue, investing in, in CCS uh, and all these big technologies that we know that we're going to be reliant on in order to get to net, net zero in 2050. So, um, but for, for the companies, net zero in 2050, I mean, that's, that's tomorrow, basically. If you invest in a new factory today, uh, it's probably going to be there in 2050. So, uh, so we need to make sure that uh, we make the right choices now in order to get the results that we need in 2050. Axel, what, what do you think? I mean, how would you like to see the, the politicians tackling the short-term problems and also making tough decisions in the long run? I think the, the first thing is to acknowledge the connection between many of our short-term problems and, and the long-term challenges that we're facing. For example, climate change is one of the biggest drivers behind insecurity and conflicts across the world. And not 
urgently uh, mitigating climate change is just kind of a recipe for creating more conflicts in the future and more uh, short-term problems that need solving urgently. Um, so I, I would say that having short-term problems should not distract from the long-term crisis of climate change, biodiversity loss, pollution, human rights, and so on. Um, and I, I, I do agree that, um, of, of course, uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, for example, gave the need to um, make sure that um, our populations have uh, sufficient energy and so on. But it's also very important to recognize that these kinds of crises will become more common as the world becomes more insecure due to the planetary crisis. Uh, so that's the reason why those should not be forgotten. Thank you for that um, and reminding me, uh, Axel, about the just transition because that's also an important topic. And uh, at the moment now, in the negotiation rooms, they are arguing about the finance uh, part and the, the loss and damage uh, plays an important role. Uh, developing countries uh, being slightly uh, mad uh, at the rich countries uh, for not stepping up and paying what they have promised. Um, Nikolai, um, why is, is that so, so hard, you think, uh, for the rich countries to admit, okay, our prosperity is actually standing on the poverty of the rest of the world, basically? Well, um, I mean, for, for Norway's part, we, we uh, pledged to treble our climate financing and we're doing so and we're also, uh, within that, uh, we uh, had a pledge to increase substantially our, our, our um, climate uh, uh, adaptation measures as well. So, um, but why is it so hard? Well, I think th this is a very good question. Now, we should have done more. But right now, uh, I think many countries, uh, developed countries, are in a situation where they have strained uh, domestic budgets, um, not least because of the energy crisis. And, um, and I think that really begs the question how we can uh, really attract more uh, private sector capital to the necessary investments, uh, both for mitigation and adaptation in developing countries as well, because, could, could because we it's, it's not going to be enough. No. Even if we reached a $100 billion target, it's not going to be enough. When, it's just going to be when, a when, start. When the voters in, in Norway complain about the high energy price we've seen this past uh, six months or, or so, uh, and they were all crying out for the, for, for the government to come in and subsidize the energy, the prices we've seen in Norway are not uncommon other places in the world. Uh, so isn't it just fair that we, we pay what it actually costs so that we also can contribute to solving the climate crisis elsewhere? I would like, I mean, would you stand up and, and uh, go in for an election where you say, okay, guys, our lives is gonna be, um, less wealthy, if you like, because we need to tackle the climate crisis. So our money has to go somewhere else where they actually have an effect. 
Would you do that? I, I don't think it helps the climate if Norwegian businesses have to close down because of uh, extremely rapid rises in electricity prices. Uh, or if our aluminium industry in Norway moves to China, where uh, emissions are much higher from production because uh, the Norwegian government fails to facilitate for them being in Norway. So I think that question is basically not... I don't agree with the premises for that question. I mean, look at aluminium. You, in Norway, we can produce eight cans of soda from aluminium with the same emissions that China produces one. Now, where do you want those cans to be produced? In the Nordic countries, where we have a low uh, footprint, and making sure that it's possible to have an industrial base in the Nordic countries is extremely important for the transition that we're going to go through. That's my view. But isn't that the, the, the argument that we hear all the time? Businesses is going to move out. Uh, I mean, it's all based on the theory of everlasting growth i mean the, the whole our whole system isn't it let, let me just say then we the un they estimate that reaching the sdgs by 2030 is going to unleash a market opportunities of, of 12 trillion dollars the investments that the global community needs to make to reach that transition that we all are here to talk about and that we, we all want to, to attain, it's going to, of course, be a massive growth impetus to the economy. We need to invest massively in energy systems, renewable energy sources, grids, uh, infrastructure, uh, terminals, what, what, what not, uh, in order to, be, uh, to get to net, net zero. So, Again, I think the premise of the question is completely wrong. It's not about being for or against growth. It's about what kind of growth is it? Is it sustainable or is it not sustainable? Now, we need more sustainable growth and less of the unsustainable uh, variant. But uh, let's not uh, say that we don't need growth because the only way, if you don't have growth, that means we're going backwards. And that is not going to help the climate and it's not going to help nature and it's not going to help uh, mankind. It's just Axel, you just going to make us poor. Mm -hmm. Axel, you were nodding. I'm, I'm not quite sure who you agree with here, but go ahead. Well, I, I agree with that there's a very big need of uh, investment in clean technologies, such as renewables. Uh, but but I, I think that the priority uh, should not be to continue uh, economic growth as, as the goal, but rather to continue ensuring that uh, people and nature are healthy. Uh, because if, if economic growth happens at, at the expense of uh, lives and of a, a, a planet that will continue um, providing air to breathe and animals that live, um, then who is it for? Mm. Um, so I, I think the priority should be um, yeah, to ensure health and well-being for humans and nature. Okay, we, we could go on about this topic forever, but our, our time is actually up. I have one last question for all three of you. Be quick about it, because we are almost out of time. So uh, first to you, Alex. If, if you were a parliamentarian, what would you do? The one most important thing to, to tackle the climate crisis, what would it be? Uh, briefly, I would say honesty, 
being honest about the things that you don't know as a politician, uh, the insecurity in terms of am I doing enough, being honest to voters that this is what I actually think is the right solution and these are the insecurities. Nikolai, um, if you were representing the youths here at COP27, what would your main message be? We need action now. That was short and sweet. Thank you. Himalcha Gulati, what would your message be to the, if you were a youth delegate? I think if you want real change and if you want people with you, you need a positive message. And I would highlight innovation technology as the solution to the challenges we face today. Thank you all. It has been lovely to have you here on the stage.